And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Problematic shrimps, diving hornets, the cult of Boiler Man, and the story of Keo, the anti-racism mascot with a globe for a head. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod and sign up. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 49 of the Clichés Pod. I'm Adam Hurry and with me to talk about the occasionally preposterous concept of football mascots are perhaps two of the world's leading mascot experts. First of all, Nick Miller, part of the extended athletic family and also author of Dance Like Everybody's Watching, The Weird and Wonderful World of Sporting Mascots. Hi, Nick. Hello. Yeah, I, um, I've i genuinely been sort of consulted as a sort of academic expert on mascots before, which, I mean, it's, it, I'm not going to say it was where I expected my career to go, but I'm not, or, or also it's not unwelcome either. Is it truly a weird and wonderful world? Yes, I think so. Certainly weird. And I find them find many of them quite charming, so wonderful as well. So the, yes, the the publisher's tagline on the front of the book is indeed accurate. Good, glad to hear that. Alongside you, uh, we have Katie Wyatt, whose credentials for this episode will become abundantly clear in due course. How are you, how are you doing, Katie? Oh, I'm alright. You okay? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Merry Christmas to you both, Nick. My first question to you, as a mascot layman, is. I understand that they're, they're part of the, the football kind of scenery. They're, they're supposed to be seen but not heard. But, you know, why and and who? Who are these people and why do they still exist? Why do we still have mascots in football? Well, they're good fun, aren't they? You know, there are several answers to, to that question, some of which are very good and are kind of boring and will talk about the Americanization of, uh, of football and, um, you know, the idea that the, the sport itself is not enough and we have to have these all this ephemera around it. Uh, or, you know, you mm. could just say it's to entertain kids and, um, you know, keep them happy if they get a little bit bored at the game or something like that. But I just think they're, they're quite they're quite good fun, really. 
harmless good fun. Oh no, absolutely. Of course, the the implied purpose of them is is to entertain children. But I mean, as far as I understand, the average age of a football fan is just going up and up and up. I think it's about forty now. I mean, I, I I'm not sure they're deriving the same enjoyment from them. But um, Casey, what we should point out to listeners right now is we're talking about the giant and furry variety of mascot. We're not talking about the shivering human eleven year old type of mascot but we should dwell on that for a moment because i'm seeing this kind of emerging um subgenre of classy touch which is when players are giving mascots you know a jacket to keep them warm which makes me wonder why don't we just give mascots jackets (laughs) just give these children something to wear in the cold i don't i like the idea that the player specifically gives you something because it's your memento from that day and they have specifically chosen you above all of the other kids and you have drawn sympathy from their hearts for freezing in the way that you were freezing so i think it's almost nicer to do it that way than to sort of give them an anthem jacket and then have to give back after they've done the run out on the pitch and everything good to see you using the correct technical term which is anthem jacket you're quite right um, Nick, we do, of course, um, experience the occasional delight of a mascot being taller than the player that they are uh, assigned to. An evergreen delight, right? Because it's the awkwardness of the whole situation and the fact that no one ever seemed, neither the player nor the mascot seem to address it. Yeah. <laughs> they just seem it's to ignore always, it. It's always the, the, the mascot will look like they're aware of it but don't overtly acknowledge it. The player in question will always, always look dead ahead and won't (laughs) glance at this towering 12-year-old next to them that is making them look puny and foolish. On the subject of of, of true mascots, that is those who dress in a a vaguely describable animal costume six feet or taller. Nick, there there, there seems to be a deeper history to the word mascot than I ever thought about. I mean, I've never thought about where the the word mascot originates, but in your book you say the word mascot itself can be traced back to medieval Latin, in which masca meant mask or nightmare. And from there, it made its way into the 18th century in France, where mascoto, loosely translated to witch or sorcerer, and this became a slang word, mascot, essentially referring to a lucky charm or talisman. There is a, there is a deep situation going on here. This isn't just about a bloke in a, in a chicken suit, yeah, is it? you thought that my book was just a sort of, you know, <laughs> something that you buy for that person that you don't really know very well then you're dead wrong, my friend. It's a deep sociological history delving into the human condition. I mean, when you're reading out like that, it really does remind you that it is the kind of last refuge of the hack to when you're asked to define something is to go into the dictionary definition or the etymology of it. <laughs> Google's really handy for that. It's fine. Yeah. I do it all yeah. the time. Katie, I guess I guess it's important to, to note that there are odd exceptions to the, the template of a mascot. I mean, we're so accustomed to this idea that it is a bloke in a giant furry costume of some sort of animal loosely associated with the football club. But there are exceptions. Um, for nearly 20 years, Nick documents in his book, there was the gent at Bradford, a portly character who would parade up and down the pitch whipping up the home fans and aggravating the opponents, played by a man called Lenny Berry. Do you have any recollection of this man? I have lots of recollection of this man. Basically, he was, (laughs) I was once upon a time a mascot of the human 11-year-old variety and he was the guy that sort of compared all that and looked after you and gave you the stadium tour and everything like that. And he was the guy that, as it says, very much winding up the opposition and throwing sweets into the crowd and things like that. But the thing that I always found quite weird about him, and I don't know if this is the concept of the uncanny or anything like that, but when he was at away games often or if he was after half-time and he was not kind of needed from that point onwards, 
would like be in the bar on the concourse or watching in the stands in his normal civilian clothes and as a kid I always found that very disorienting <laughs> it's a bit like when you see your teacher outside of school in the co-op or something I always yeah. found it very odd that he was completely out of place and sort of removed from that uh, domain which was a very sort of weird thing to experience when you were 11 or 12. Very curious twist to his story I mean I don't know what type of man he was but I mean and just to give the viewers a, a visual image here this was a guy who was dressed up in full kit of Bradford plus a bowler hat just walking up down the pitch but um, as, as Nick also writes in his book um, it was reported that Bradford dismissed him from his job after he lost too much weight when he was diagnosed with diabetes thus no longer fitting the profile of the gent Nick this is awful yeah um, I mean uh, uh, that that story holds up as far as my research extended now I, I would be interested right. to get to get a more kind of local expert opinion on whether that myth was actually true i mean i, I suppose in many ways it, it, it because it's now been committed to uh, heavyweight print it it is you know it basically is true print the legend but Ka- katie well, well, it, i mean as far as you're aware is that story is there any accuracy to that story i think that the, there was always a suspicion that it might have been his conduct because he was very uh <laughs> He, he liked to use colourful language, shall we say, when winding up the opposition. Yeah. Um, but I think that there was, like, at the time, it was a fairly biggish story in Bradford, and when Saturday Comes reported on it, and there was a poll on the local paper website about should he be reinstated, and people were chanting his name at games, and then it sort of fizzled out. But for a while, it was quite a big controversy. Problematic mascots obviously aren't an anomaly. I mean, most of them are fairly phallic anyway, Nick. But there, were, there is the tale of Southend's pale, pointy-headed Sammy the shrimp who was quietly redesigned because he looked like a member of the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> yeah um, I mean I don't know what they were uh, exactly they were thinking uh, when they designed this thing if you if you can imagine um, he looks like a looked like a character from uh, Spongebob and I can't remember what the name of the character mm. was but, but he, yes this kind of Look like a pointy worm, basically. That um, that anything. I, I I don't. You kind of wonder how these things get through the number of people they presumably have to get through, where without someone going, are we absolutely sure that we want some something anything with a pointy, you know, uh, what could look could possibly be interpreted or look like a pointy hood historic historically very <laughs> poor um you know very poor associations with that it's a minefield it's a minefield things look like other things it's gonna happen if only we had someone on this podcast who has a illustrious history in designing mm. mascots more on that later definitely other other curiosities um katie uh, at west brom i mean the well-documented boiler mm. man now patrols the pitch at the Hawthorns, but he's not their official mascot. He is overshadowed Baggy Bird. Now, Baggy Bird, I mean, first of all, let's take Boiler Boiler Man. Boiler Man is a man dressed in a boiler outfit, which is incredible, and we've all seen it, and it's all fantastic. But I feel bad for Baggy Bird for two reasons. One, such a tired concept, just a man in a bird outfit, which, you know, is, is the idea of the club's existence. But he's, he's being overshadowed by a commercially inspired mascot it's quite sad isn't it is that the modern day personified in mascot perhaps i mean i think the thing that does disconcert me slightly about the boiler man is that he's almost half human half mascot because you can see his arms are obviously in sort of like if it looks like a fairly cheap nylon base type thing so you can see it's almost like he's metamorphing into 
a mascot and then got stuck halfway rather than being a full boiler. Whereas Baggy Bird is, you look at him and he's just got this lovely smile and he's very innocent and seems very fun um, and seems like a good laugh when you look at him on, on Google, as I am doing now. But he looked, there seems to have been several incarnations of Baggy Bird over the years. There are sort of several different ones of here. So, I mean, you know, I don't think he's entirely, I wonder what he, did he bump off the other Baggy Birds before him? I mean, does is he entirely innocent in all this? <laughs> Always good to get the phrase "full boiler" into the uh, into the football cliches um, podcast. But Nick, this is a recurring the the, the the issue she points out with Boiler Man simply having inexplicable arms and limbs. Well, this is a recurring concept with mascots. People are designing mascots based on things that don't have arms and legs. That doesn't work when a man has got to fill the costume. No, no. If I could, um, I, I really feel like we should give uh, Boiler Man the the sort of attention it deserves on a, a podcast devoted to mascots yes. i've said this before on um, various uh, podcasts but i would i really really would urge people to uh, look at boiler man's social media presence particularly uh, boiler man's instagram uh, and if you scroll down long enough you'll find a promotional uh, advert that boiler man filmed where um <laughs> there's no way to kind of say this gently he seduces a middle-aged woman um uh who is she oh. she is in um her garden with her husband i i think called kenneth um she's called marjorie kenneth is trying to <laughs> kenneth is trying to fill up rather limply a um a sort of paddling pool with a hose and she looks next door oh. and boiler man is there with a full hot tub bubbling away gloriously and tempts marjorie over to uh, over the fence and Marjorie says something along the lines of "my hero," and then it cuts to Kenneth next door with his hose, which, frankly, there's a there's a close up of the hose going rather limp in in, <laughs> oh, in in one of the great subtle pieces of uh, of imagery. Um, I, I mean, I don't know who came up with this concept. I I'm not really sure. I, I want to know, but. They really have gone all out with um, with trying to market Boiler Man as a sort of virile sexual threat, basically. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, it, it does. It, it goes way beyond extracurricular activity for a match day mascot, mm. quite frankly. But again, this is quite a common theme, Katie. Mascots getting involved in things they perhaps shouldn't because. It seems to me like they have a, this kind of air of diplomatic immunity about them. They are dressed as so absurdly, they can't possibly be capable of something heinous. And yet, you get mascots involved in scraps. They get You get mascots sort of whipping up opposition fans. They're, they're, they're much more of a kind of um, weapon than they perhaps appear. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, wasn't it Cyril the Swan that had the fight with Zampa the Lion at Millwall, which I just think... Yeah. And then I think you're pretty sure there's a YouTube video of him at some point sort of trying to explain himself and he's like, I'm going to do a very bad Welsh accent here. And he was like, Zampa the Lion was getting up in my face and winding me up and sort of justifying it to himself. <laughs> and then thankfully in, in Cyril's case, he ended up getting married to Sybil the Swan, who has apparently changed him and calmed him down these days, which I feel like was much needed because you can't have... You can't have, there is a line, and I don't feel like fighting with the opposition mascot is necessarily a line that you want to cross. Actually, we should briefly touch, Katie, on the uh, mascot subgenre of married mm. mascots. Why is this a thing? Is it just, is it, 
effective device of introducing another mascot to the to this universe. I'm not sure. I mean, it worries me how they sort of tend to disappear after the while because Bradford had one, which I don't remember because it was sort of before I started going, but they had Billy Bantam, who had a wife, Henrietta the Hen, and they had a child, Eddie the Egg, which was played by, I think, someone who was in like the Academy at that point. But Eddie the Egg oh, and Henry... Roping kids and into this is terrible. Eddie the Egg and Henrietta have sort of disappeared, so I don't know if... They, that was in mysterious circumstances or they just went their own separate way or anything like that but yeah I'm not too sure why they, the female one always seems to disappear after a while in a lot of cases Hello I'm Mark Chapman the host of a special episode of Giant produced by The Athletic it's the story of Chester City's American dream a dream that turned into a nightmare This is Terry Smith He's coached teams to honours in England, Europe and the United States. One of football's most celebrated coaches. American football, that is. Now he wants to conquer another sport. I think I've probably got, uh, you know, more years of coaching experience than just about anyone. Not in soccer. No, not in soccer. Search for Giant on Spotify to listen to the full episode. The Cyril the Swan incident, Nick, sounds very sort of WWE, slightly comical, but things get rather more ominous. I mean, uh, in your book, you mention uh, Jonathan Pollard, the man who played Berry's Robbie the Bobby for a brief spell. Uh, uh, But he was eventually sacked for making obscene gestures towards referee Howard Webb during a game. And he responded to the repeated scrapes he got involved in by saying, they start it and I finish it. (laughs) Bloody hell. Yeah, I can't... I also... Uh, was it Robbie the Bobby that was that was dismissed for engaging in some rather too fruity banter with his own, his own team's fans? He he basically and prepare the bleep button uh, for this producer Dave. He called his own mm. fans, um, ah. which uh, I I think is a little you know I'm sure that these mascots get a bit of a bit of abuse and get things thrown at them from that from time to time. But you know you've got to kind of rein it in a little bit when you are a a mascot for a football team. I mean, that's a very extreme example of, of something I definitely wanted to raise today, Katie. Um, producer, producer Dave, in fact, um, contributed this before we recorded. He says, I was back at Watford the other night and because of the lack of crowd, I actually heard Harry the Hornet's voice. He shouted, get in, after we'd scored. It was an unsettling moment. He shouldn't speak. He should be like Sooty. Mm. This is a good point. We shouldn't hear mascots' voices. They shouldn't have voices. I think there's two things with that. I think, first of all, it does sort of ruin the illusion or you sort of think, oh my gosh, childhood ruined when you hear a mascot speak and it's a very sort of distinctly (laughs) human voice. But secondly, I almost think them being silent sort of adds to the innocence of it. So it's like Gunnosaurus' Instagram is just the most innocent thing where he's sort of tending to his fish in the garden and making cinnamon buns and being upset because there are no turkey dinosaurs in his fridge and everything and I think his <laughs> silence just sort of adds to it's like when you look at babies or dogs and you think ah oh, what are you thinking and feeling type thing and I feel that that adds to the whole cuteness and, and innocence particularly with Gunnosaurus. It's just incredible how something can have such an expressive face and yet betray no actual <laughs> yeah. uh, sentiment or emotion. It, it's such a paradox to me. But um, I mean, we, I mean, Gunnosaurus obviously, Nick, is is the A-lister here, and he's incredibly well documented the story of how he came about, and and latterly, um, you know, an almost hyper real situation where the bloke inside him got made redundant, and the whole thing was just just got very serious all for a second, but. After that, I would I, I put to you that Harry the Hornet is perhaps the most notable, you know, current Premier League stroke championship mascot. Uh, but it, it it got rather unpleasant at one point, didn't it? His 
misdemeanors. Yeah, well, I mean, there was the the the, the incident that led to Harry the Hornet being a subject of questions in managerial post match press conferences where he mocked Wilfred Zaha with a with a mock dive on I think I assume it was the Vicarage Road pitch which you know it's it's a real sign that everyone we all know that people take football far too seriously anyway but when you are getting offended at the idea of a mascot mock falling over on the side of the pitch this caused I think the Crystal Man- Crystal Palace manager at the time was uh, Sam Allardyce who called him a disgrace yeah. or some or something similar and yeah, it's it's a strange old world where a, a mascot can cause kind of relative diplomatic incidents within football. I thought it was Hodgson that was irate because I remember thinking at the time how weird is that a guy who's generally as placid as Roy Hodgson was getting infuriated about that specific thing. I'm trying to imagine the, the length of shrift <laughs> that Hodgson would have given a question about a mascot in a press conference. Microscopic is, is what I'm after. But Katie, I mean... Maybe it's time for me to try and empathise with the people inside these costumes. Maybe if you're inside that costume, you, you know, you've got this layer of protective felt around you. You probably do feel quite invincible. You probably do feel like you can get away with anything. I think don't you? so. I think it's very hard to hold them to account when they sort of have very exaggerated, <laughs> caricatured eyes and exaggerated smiles and just uh, the whole demeanour and look of them is begging not to be taken seriously so I think it's very hard to (laughs) discipline them while they're wearing that costume I think. Yeah yeah you're right different set of rules um listener jay writes in nick and says when i was seven the qpr mascot picked me out of a crowd and swung me around my head very nearly connecting with the advertising hoarding on its way these they just do whatever they <laughs> bloody want don't they yeah the the uh, the invincibility cloak that is brought on by the uh, the mascot costume can go too far obviously mm. there are lots of stories about there's a kind of a, um, a rich seam of stories along these lines in american sports particularly american college sports because a lot of the yeah. uh, mascots and those things are just played by a college student who will you know he doesn't he isn't on the team but wants to be involved in it and the the number of stories about the person getting pissed before putting on the mascot mascot costume and then fighting with you know whoever's nearby. Frankly, there are dozens of them out there. Uh, Producer Dave suggests that we need a mascot disciplinary board <laughs> now, chaired by Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. Yeah, as a Muppets illiterate man. I, I I don't know if he is indeed a worthy man to chair it. Yeah, Sam the Eagle, yes. So was Sam the Eagle. Just just mm. picture um, a kind of a blue version of Mick McCarthy. That's what Sam the Eagle looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see. Yes, big, I know sort of, of kind of, yes. sort of pointy beak, big thick eyebrows, mm. a kind of pres- professorial mm. demeanour. So he'd be the uh, he'd be the, the Stuart Ripley <laughs> of, the, of the mascot disciplinary yeah. panel. The kind of oddly familiar face. Saying, well, I suppose he does know what he's talking about. But yeah, I hope he's qualified anyway. Nick, one line in your book stood out to me, especially for what we're about to talk about with Katie. That he's, you write, because for the most part, these mascots are absurd, surreal concoctions of a dangerous mind. <laughs> Katie, which brings us neatly onto the story of Keo. Tell us. Yeah, well, when I was uh, about 11, I went to um, watch Bradford City play at Notts County and there was an advert in their programme by Kick It Out, so the anti-racism organisation, asking school children to design a mascot for them. Uh, So I drew one. Uh, I'm sure that Adam will tweet the picture later of a guy with a globe head and had to write a little bit of an essay about what qualities I think someone who is a a mascot for an anti-racism organisation should have. So I wrote about how 
he had a respect for different cultures and things like that and then eventually they ended up ringing me well coming to my school actually and doing an assembly and then <laughs> Keel leapt out from behind the curtain and they were like oh this is your mascot and we've made him into a full-size mascot and you've won and was that the first time yeah you'd yeah seen yeah, him? yeah. the seen first him time I saw him her. and then they said you've won and mm. we're gonna present him on the pitch at Wembley and you're gonna go down to Wembley before the game and then unveil Keel yeah. to the uh, to the uh, masses, as it were. If I get this right, so Keo was a sort of humanoid creature with a, with with the with a world for yeah. a head. Is that right? If if I could if I could just relay um, a quote from you as a twelve year old um, from the from the news story in the Telegraph in Argus when your design first reached public consciousness, <laughs> you said, "I thought if it's a globe, it doesn't discriminate." <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry to your 12-year-old self. And it's perfectly and it's exactly the right thing to say. I'm just dying here. And I'm going I'm gonna get this quote out if I can help it. 12-year-old Katie said, I thought if it's a globe, it <laughs> oh my god. I'm crying. Okay, one more time. 12 year <laughs> One more time. It's going to be all right. Take a minute, Adam. Compose yourself. I really hope this is worth it. It's actually great. Okay. 12-year-old Katie said, I thought if it's a globe, it doesn't discriminate against anyone because everyone is part of the globe. (laughs) It's perfectly good logic. Out of the mouths of babes. I mean, it's right. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Um, what I was really impressed with, I have to say, from an, from an aesthetic perspective, mm. um, and I don't think it made it to the final product, is when you designed it, and I've seen the original prototype drawings, of course, um, you made the kind of the land masses of the world, the approximations of Africa or Asia or wherever, into kind of like a hair and like sideburns, like huge sideburns, which is really nice. It was a really nice touch. Admittedly, a bit of a throwback for, for perhaps the year it was drawn in. But it didn't make it to the final product. You, I presume you had no say over the placement of the land. <laughs> no, I didn't. I remember at the time drawing it, though, was me thinking to make the sea, having a very clear expanse of sea so that you could see the eyes, the nose and mouth uninterrupted was what I was thinking with. I wasn't thinking hair or sideburns or anything like that. But no, the actual one that they did create ended up having the proper proportions and size of the countries and everything. And I remember seeing Russia very clearly as a big kind of expanse on the back of his head, yeah. Yeah, it was a gorgeous <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so many questions I have to ask. First of all, uh, perhaps I should be asking this last, and Nick, you're perhaps wondering this too, is uh, whatever happened to Keo, Katie? Where I'm is he now? I'm not actually sure, because originally it was meant to be only for like a year, two years that he would be the mascot, but then when I was in year 11 at school so kind of four or five years later I would see him on do you know when kick out had their activation week in October and I would just see him kind of leading the mascots out at Loftus Road and things like that and just sort of making random appearances on Super Sunday in the background and things so he was very much kind of so he was given like a lifespan or like a tenure originally I think and after that you had to get (laughs) re-elected I mean originally I think he was meant to be only for a limited time and then I would see him pop up in random places after that but I haven't Senior, and I'm not sure what happened to him, to be honest. I'll have to probably ring them and find out, but yeah. Well, I mean, amongst his many achievements, like tackling world racism um, with his globed head, uh, was that he finished fifth in the mascot Grand National, Nick, 
it would be remiss of this episode to, to pass by without mentioning the mascot Grand National. Is it still a thing? Does it still happen? I think so. As far as I can remember, there, there were, that was riddled by scandal, the mascot Grand National, because mascots were being populated by genuine <laughs> really? athletes, like proper sort of 400 metre hurdlers who would then sort of hurdle the, the steeples. I don't know. What's the word? Um, like improper athletic style and just sprinting for the line. And the whole thing was an absolute farce towards the end. I suspect it doesn't exist anymore for that very reason. But um, but yeah, proper sort of national level athletes were donning the outfits, which seems seems wrong. It should be the original people in in the in the costumes. Um, so I've composed myself <laughs> finally after the Globe quote, which is honestly the most the most heartwarming thing I've read this year. Could have fooled me. Twelve year old Katie, thank you so much. My wife rather innocently asked me yesterday as I was telling her about this episode. Nick is. Um, why don't you have mascots for national teams? Why don't England have a mascot? It would be, surely it's, it's a slam dunk. Yeah, you would think so. And there are, of course, mascots for international tournaments as well. There certainly are. I mean, um, to give you a statistical breakdown, Katie, of the mascots of the Men's World Cup in its history, um, 23% of the mascots have been chubby children. <laughs> 12% fruit, 41% animals, which is kind of what you would expect, if not a little bit higher. 18% aliens, which is a which is a kind of more modern digression that we'll get onto and, and denounce in a short while. And that leaves 6% trickle or stick figures with a football <laughs> for a head. Of course, to touch on the 18% aliens category in that breakdown, Katie, I mean, World Cup mascots were once quite a big deal they were they, they followed a kind of charming template there was world cup willie who was the first one in 1966 he was just a lion and he, and he looked great and and all the merchandise was reasonably classy affair for all things considered and we've we had sort of chubby boys in west germany 1974 we've had we've had a, an orange uh, named naran naranjito for spain 1982 so these were all fairly wholesome things things that people could kind of empathize with animals food and then from about, I don't know, the late 90s onwards, it all got very weird. There was a, a, a France 98 was a cockerel called Footix. And then in South Korea, Japan, 2002, it was three aliens. Have I got this right, Nick? And after that, Katie, it's just got, it's just got silly. And I, it's made me wonder what the hell is in store for Qatar 2020. Well, I really liked Footix because what I liked about Footix was that the Women's World Cup last year, the, the cockerel mascot for that tournament was actually the backstory I think that she's his daughter or his niece or his granddaughter or something so there is a bit of a kind of family tree at work there but I mean I would take issue with the fact that it all went downhill sort of like late 90s because the 1990 one that I've just googled now of the sort of Rubik's I guess like a maybe stretched out dismantled Rubik's cube with a head is quite, I find that really, really strange. Oh, wow. I'm glad this podcast has, I was going to say descended, but not descended, has ascended to the point where it has now become Katie Wyatt sees Chow for the first <laughs> time. Wow. Chow. Chow is the Chow is the godfather of football mass tournament. This is, I, 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 the, the, the um, thought when you, uh, when you bleakly made reference to Chow without um, saying his name in a kind of, of course, and of course we all know Chow manner, I, I, it did strike me that Katie is almost certainly younger than Chow, which is uh, a, a, yeah. a, a, Younger a, than a, frankly, a, a abysmal prospect, but uh, I, I did wonder whether you were that Katie was familiar with with um, with the great man. I have seen it before, but not kind of properly. I mean, it just is so out of keeping because there is not a man, or at least a a normally proportioned human, inside of that 
costume. No, it's very hard to reproduce in a in a physical thing. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's good for merchandise, bad for actual people trying to get into an outfit for it. I interviewed the guy who created Chow a couple of years ago, and he said he got the inspiration from some traffic lights, <laughs> and it just came to him. And uh, he entered um, he entered into a competition in Italy, sort of in the late eighties, and there was about fifty thousand entrants, and uh, he won with Chow. And it, and it was a huge departure at the time from your your oranges and lemons, whatever <laughs> you had in previous World Cups. It was considered a very radical thing and quite right too. And I'm glad he's become the iconic World Cup mascot. I was going to say about yep. about the inventors of mascots speaking, you know, we have the honour of one in our presence here. Possibly something, mm. I actually I don't know your, your circumstances, Katie, but Gonosaurus showed up at the wedding of the man who designed him. Mm. It, it was a very very similar situation. It was a child who designed Gonosaurus way back when, and as a surprise, his family arranged for Gonosaurus to show up at this guy's wedding when he was, you know, 32 or something like that. So, you know, who knows? Keo could... We need to get yeah. Keo's number. That's what we need to get. Imagine, what would you feel if one day he turned up at, at one of your life events? Um, I'd feel slightly surprised because it's not something that comes up a lot in my everyday life. Do you know how the guy that designed... Will well, do now. Do you know the, the guy who designed Gunasaurus into it, it defines a sort of certain chunk of his life. Like you said, they did wheel him out at the wedding and he does kind of... He said that he sort of drops it in a conversation sometimes, like, oh, I'm the guy that designed Gunasaurus. Whereas it never has really come up for me. So I would be sort of... It would be a very marked departure from the way that the last... 13 years of my life have played out I mean I mean it, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then a lot of time has passed maybe it'll be the son or daughter of Keo um, to, to keep that name going I mean to, to touch upon the point you made a moment ago about that about people who who invent this kind of lineage for, for mascots and sons and daughters just to keep the whole universe going amongst the more juvenile of us it does raise the the idea that you know how are these things conceived you know mm. I was thinking that with the egg the 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 um Eddie the egg Eddie the egg why why not just be a, a, a chick no why why just leave it at the egg was it was the the, the the physical form of the mascot an egg with arms and legs I imagine so I mean as I was saying earlier it was sort of before my time but I imagine yeah. it it would be long I don't imagine they ruled it out bearing in mind there was a, like a, a ball boy inside it I think I think he must have had arms <laughs> oh, and legs goodness me. I can only hope that the um, the initial act took place in the centre circle, um, which is the the spiritual home of, of where these things should happen. Uh, anyway, on that note, thank you both for lending me your expertise, both past and present, to what has been a thoroughly enjoyable episode for everyone's Christmas Eve. Thanks, Katie, and thanks for bringing Keo into the world and for, for solving racism. <laughs> well done. Well done to you both. Um, Nick, your book's wonderful. I, I hope it. I hope people far and wide buy it on the back of this episode. That's Dance Like Everybody's Watching, The Weird and Wonderful World of Sporting Mascots. Um, it's opened my eyes to all sorts of layers of the lives of these people. You and the world are very welcome. Cheers both. Have a lovely Christmas. Same to you, listeners. We'll be back with episode 50 on New Year's Eve. Goodbye. Goodbye.